hope you do. I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And could you just show your appreciation to the Lawrence family again for being here today to lead us in worship. It's really a, just so thankful for them and uh, for their gifts that they share with us today. Luke chapter 15 be our text in just a few minutes. I'm going to read verse 11 through 32. But there's just something, something touching, something heartwarming about some of the, the videos and the stories we've seen lately when parents, moms and dads in uniform, come home to surprise their kids. Have you seen some of those? maybe at a school assembly or at a football game. Somehow the child is not really expecting anything or suspecting anything at all. And then, lo and behold, someone comes in and they recognize that it's their mom or their dad. And the crowd goes bananas. And you see that child run and throw their arms around their mom or their dad. And I mean, everybody is crying, right? Well, there's another scene that's like it, but on the flip side. You go to an airport. Sometimes you'll see moms and dads and family with signs, balloons. And they're all looking down the gate, looking down the corridor for a son or a daughter who's returning in uniform. And they're, they're kind of bending and wiggling so that they can see. And then finally, in a distant corridor, they see that son, that daughter, who's been gone for a year or two, maybe more, coming through with the knapsack. And then the excitement builds, and the excitement builds, and the excitement builds. Finally, they're through security, and the mom and dad and the child, they throw their arms around each other, and there's not a tear, not a dry eye in the room. One of my co-workers, her name is Susie, uh, she has worked for me for a few years and uh, her son, Zach, enlisted in the Navy a year and a half ago. And after his training and after his commissioning, he was stationed in southern Italy. Not too shabby, right? Well, just a few weeks ago, he got three weeks leave and he didn't tell his mother he was coming home. She and her husband, who happens to be a police officer in the Campbellsville uh, Police Department, were at a conference in Louisville for law enforcement. And she gets this note, and there's these, all these people are in the background trying to make a surprise to shock her that her boy is going to be in town. They set up all the arrangements, set up all the situations. She has no clue. And finally, her husband, who is the law officer, he starts to break and give away a little bit of the surprise. And she wonders, what's, what's wrong with him? Why is he acting so strange? Well, then in the lobby of the hotel where they were staying for the conference, she turns the corner and there's her boy. Of course, everyone is filming it, you know, from YouTube. You know, you got to have YouTube. She showed me the video a 
few days later, I swear she hugged him for five or six minutes. And she was crying. But you know who else was crying? Her boy was crying. This rock-solid Marine who is trained to do the most difficult of tasks is weeping like a baby in the arms of his mama. There's just something about these kinds of reunions. Whether it's a parent coming home and surprising a child, but maybe more so on the other way when it's a child coming home embraced by a parent. There's just something that pulls at the heart. Jesus tells a story that most of us would believe to be his most famous, his most memorable, his most repeated story of any of those that he told. Jesus told parables, and parables simply are stories with spiritual meanings. But he tells one particularly that is undoubtedly the most heartwarming the most engaging. I would even go far as far as saying it's the one that grips us the most. And it's the parable or the story of the prodigal son. We're beginning a series today called Prodigal, Finding Your Way Back Home. And for the next few weeks, we're just going to focus on this one story of Jesus and let it teach us something about our lives. More than anything else, we know that this story, this one parable, teaches us something about ourselves. It teaches us something about our own ways, our own desires, our own journeys. But more than that, it teaches us something about our loving Father. Today, we're going to focus on the loving Father. The Father who was ready to embrace a wayward son. I'm going to read the entire parable from Luke chapter 15, and then we'll feature in in just a few of the key verses. Let me begin actually in verse 1 and 2 to set the stage, and then I'll jump down to verse 11. Jesus speaking to a crowd says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now down to verse 11. And Jesus said to them, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray right now that you would help me. Help me not make more of this story than Jesus would have made, but to make it as clear as he was clear. We want to hear from you now, God, and we need your spirit to speak. Make my voice nothing and make your voice clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus had a crowd gathering around him. And the Bible paints that very clearly. Sinners and tax collectors were not only around Jesus, but Jesus ate with them. He hung out with them. He spent time with them. And this crowd that he had gathered was starting to get some audience with another group that didn't want to hang out with sinners and tax collectors and people of ill reputation. The scribes and the Pharisees, that would be the religious people, the goody-two-shoes, if you will, start making comments about Jesus and his friends. He hangs out with them, he eats with them, and they question Jesus' reasoning. And so in a series of three stories, we only read the third one, we didn't read the first story, which 
tells of a man who had a bunch of coins and he loses one and he leaves all the coins behind to go and hunt in the corners and in the crawl spaces to get that one coin back. Or the second story he tells where there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and all 99 of them are kept in a nice little, 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 what do you call a sheep pen? A sheep pen, that's it. My non-agricultural mind was going blank there for a minute. But one little sheep got away. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and he hunts and he goes after that one sheep and he gets that one sheep and brings it back. But he tells a third story, the one that we remember most. Not about a lost coin or a lost sheep, but about a lost son. And this is the one that really grabs our hearts. Because while many of us might find coins interesting or sheep interesting, Jesus and his audience are just like us. People stories grab the attention and the heart. And he tells the story about a father who has two sons. Now let me bring you to this first point, and I'm just going to focus on the father here, but the audience, remember, needs to learn an important lesson that has to do with God the Father, and Jesus is going to use the father of the story to be the symbol of God the Father, and He's going to use the two sons as a comparison among, among the sinners and the tax collectors, that would be the young son, and the Pharisees and the scribes, that would be the older son. He's setting them all up so that they understand exactly what the story is going to mean, and He's going to paint a picture of this family which has an absolutely devastating decision. Let's just take a look at what this boy requests. Verse 11, story number three. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. There are your central characters, a man and two sons. Verse 12, and the younger son said to his dad, Dad, give me my share of my property. Give me what's mine. Now these are terribly harsh words. This is offensive language to a father. I have two sons. One of them is here, the younger. The older stayed home with his mom today to care for our family. If one of my sons came to me and said, Dad, give me my share of my inheritance, and I was still living, he might not have life after that moment. He would never say such a thing. It's, it's an expression of, Dad, drop dead. Give me my money. Now, I don't know about you parents, but that kind of language doesn't settle well with most dads, including myself. Drop dead? Die? Get in the grave because I want my money? Yeah, you want something, all right. You're about to get what you want. <laughs> no son would ever say this to their father, particularly in this time, where the respect and authority to the patriarch, to the father of the home, is the highest of respect. 
I mean, you, you barely speak to your father in casual terms in this society, in this day, much less demand for your money while they're still alive. Now, what's unique, even in this great disrespect, the father does not get angered. The father doesn't read him his rights. He doesn't take him out to the woodshed and teach him a father-to-son lesson. The scripture tells us, verse 12, so he divided his property between them. He does it. The father accepts these conditions. He accepts this request and he divides the property. Now, it's not 50-50 in this day and age with two sons. And in this time, it will be two-thirds to the older, one-third to the younger. And maybe, just maybe, the audience who heard that would resonate with the younger son knowing that he had already been gypped a, a fair share. But that's just how the legal inheritance was divided in this time. The oldest would get the lion's share. The others would get what remains. But verse 13 really delivers the knockout punch. It's not that the father accepts these terms and divides up his property, and it's not that the younger son even asked for such a thing, but the Bible says in a few days he gathers all he had and he takes off to this far country and there he squanders all of it. He spends it all in a very short amount of time. He doesn't invest it so that it makes more. He doesn't save it so that he can survive over a long time. He goes to a far off land and he has a party. And eventually the party runs out of money. Now, the older brother tells us a little something at the end of the story about where some of that money went to. Interesting, older brother wasn't there to watch it, but maybe he's got a hunch of what younger brother did. He goes off and he spends it on prostitutes. It's not just reckless living. It's rebellious living. But here's point number one I want you to know. The loving father, the loving father let his son go his own way. You might feel the tension, as you should, that a father could have said, no, you're not getting your inheritance. No, I'm not dead. No, you're not leaving. No, you're not taking any of my money with you. No, 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 no. You're staying here, staying where you're supposed to be, staying in the family, doing your job, doing your obligation to the family. I don't give a rip about where you want to go or what you want to do. You're here. But that's not what we see, is it? We see a loving father who hears this offensive request and he lets his son go on his own way. And here's what the audience knew. And it's here is what we know. Our heavenly father lets us go our own way. As much as God knows both the beginning, the middle, and the end, and He knows what's good for us, He knows what's right for us, He knows what His will would be for us, He does not prevent us from going our own way. 
Whether that's a short period of time, a long period of time, whether that's in reckless living, rebellious living, God doesn't put a barrier on us, doesn't hold us back. Our loving Father lets us make a wreck of our lives even in the midst of His love. Because if God restrains us in any way, if God holds us back, then the relationship between us and God have changed. Only when there is true freedom is there true love. And God gives us true, true love. You are invited in a relationship to be with Him so that you love God or you can leave God. You can walk with Him or you can walk away from Him. You can live for Him or you can do everything in your power to blaspheme His name. The freedom you have to do all of that is an evidence that God loves you and is not controlling you like some robot is controlled. It's a perfect example of His love. And so this father let his son go his own way because that was the loving thing to do. And if any of you have ever walked your own way, done your own thing, had to seek out your own path, be assured that you were allowed to do it because God loves you and wanted to show you that freedom. But let's skip down a little bit and focus on a second key indicator of this father's love. Yes, he let his son go his own way, but the loving father also looked for his wayward son's return. Verse 20 And the son arose and came back home. He came back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion. A long way off, the loving father sees his son coming home. Now, I grew up in Kentucky. I grew up in just the other side of Breckenridge County in Hancock County, Kentucky. I've lived in Kentucky every year of my life except five years. And so when I see this picture in my mind, I see it in Kentucky colors. Forgive me. It's not biblical colors. It's just the colors I see. This is what I see. I see a picture of a long way off. Jeff, we got that picture, bro. He's helping me build anticipation and build. There it is. I see a picture of a long driveway with beautiful horses and fence line. This looks like Lexington to me. Just Nelson County, maybe a little bit there in Versailles. That's just what I see. And you can almost imagine in your mind that the house is here where we would be and the, the road goes out mile two or three. And what begins as a little bitty speck slowly becomes a little bitty dot. And that little bitty dot becomes a little shape. And it appears that shape is moving. And that little shape coming up the, the road starts taking form. And it's not just some salesman or some neighbor. It's not some stranger that's really, really lost. This person is walking on purpose, walking with a, with a step, walking with an intentional 
reason to come to the house. And I can just in my mind see the dad on the porch. And I know it's, it's a big white porch with a big rocking chair. It's all Kentucky, folks. I'm sorry. Not biblical. And, and he knows who that is when it was a speck. The scripture says the father saw him a long way off and felt compassion. Felt, felt his heart at her. That's my boy. He's coming home. He's coming back. He went on his way. And he's coming back to the house. And the Father does something that I truly can't understand in all its complexity. He runs to meet Him. Now remember, this is about God the Father and two sons. The sons who represented by the tax collectors and the sinners. They're the wayward sons. And the son who is the one that stays home, that's the Pharisees and the scribes. But the Father of the story runs. Now be clear, God is not needy. God is not fragile. God is not weak. God is strong. He is powerful. He is almighty. But reality is here in the parable that God knew when any of His wayward sons and daughters were coming home, He knew from a long time off. The minute, the minute the boy in the pig trough came to his senses, the heavenly Father had already forgiven. Do you get it? The moment we begin in our hearts to recognize we have drifted from God, walked from God, turned our backs from God, and the millisecond that we feel remorse, we feel regret, we feel a brokenness toward what we have done, the minute we say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life, will you forgive me? Forgiveness is granted. But then there's this journey this journey back home. This journey back to God. The most common description of God in the Old Testament is this. And it's repeated 45 or so times. It was originally spoken to Moses, but it was repeated time and time and time again. Let me share it with you. And it's God speaking of Himself and describing what He's like. You can take it to account because it's His own words. The most common description of God in the Old Testament is this. God is a gracious God. Merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The most common repeated phrase or description of God Almighty in the Old Testament is that He is gracious, He is merciful, He is slow to get angry, and He abounds in persistent, steadfast love. For some reason, our minds and our own human hearts make our God, make the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, cold, hard, calloused, 
with an anger in his face and authority in his hands and and hostility toward humanity. That's for some reason the picture we get. It's because we all feel insignificant to the Creator and therefore we project upon the Creator something that is not what He would say He is. He, in describing Himself, His character, says, I am gracious, I am merciful, I'm slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God the Father is the loving Father in the parable. And how does that father respond? Compassion, grace, mercy, love. He's not angry. He's not hard. He's not calloused or cold. He sees his boy. And he runs to meet him. Well, third and finally... There's the older son, and I just want to briefly mention one thing about the older boy and his interaction with his dad. Just as the father, the loving father, let his younger son go on his own way and eventually longed and looked for his son's return, his older son needs an attitude adjustment. Any of you parents have to give your kids an attitude adjustment? Correct some thinking and some acting, and some understanding. Uh, The older son in verse 31, he's angry and he's hot and he's upset. You're giving that son of yours a cow. You're giving me, you didn't give me a goat. You're throwing a party for this guy who's been out with prostitutes. I've been here every year, on and on, faithfully serving you, and you never even let my friends come over and get for a get-together. He is just snotty arrogant, angry. And the father adjusts his attitude, realigns his attitude. Verse 31, Son, you are always with me, and that all that is mine is yours. But it is fitting for me to celebrate today and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive, he is lost, and he is found. Those words resonate with us. We all know what he means. This brother, he was gone. He was done. We never thought he would ever come back. But he's back and we're celebrating today, my older son. Because we have much to celebrate in this reunion. I was, uh, as a young engaged man to my wife Jennifer, I was going to show off one time. I... We were living in Texas at the time, and Texans don't normally have a lot of ice, but one particular storm caused a lot of ice to be on the road, and as a chivalrous young man who had this beautiful young lady as his bride-to-be, I offered to drive her to work in the ice. Got her there, all safe and sound, dropped her off into the little parking lot, but then I was going to show how talented I am on ice, driving on ice, by doing some cool maneuvers in the parking lot. You already know what I did, don't you? And she'll tell the story over. She loves to tell this story. She loves to tell this story. I was kind of doing a little fishtailing, trying to be all savvy, and I got the back end of the car sideways, over-adjusted, trying to get the front end to recorrect, and I slammed 
into one of those curbs that you know where parking lots have. Completely tore up the front end of my car. It still ran, but driving straight, you held the steering wheel like this. And you could only make a turn ever so slightly because you didn't have enough room to go. I bent the frame, bent the axles, basically ruined the car. She'll always say, you want to take me to work on the ice, you know? (laughs) Show your skills again. Oh, she loves telling that story. Loves telling that story. My car was completely out of alignment because arrogantly pride had resulted in me wrecking my car. And this older brother is arrogantly, pridefully wrecking this reunion because his judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant attitude can't see what's happening before him. He's thinking about a goat. He's thinking about a party. He's thinking about himself. And he can't see the fact that his brother has come home. Christian, sometimes we're the older brother. When someone comes back to God, we have a little arrogance, a little pride, a little snottiness in ourselves thinking, oh yeah, I know where they've been. I know what they've done. I've heard all about their reckless living. Now they want to waltz up in here and act as if none of that happened. Christian, how dare you? How dare you? Because if you think your sinful life is somehow different than the sinful life of all others, you're the older brother in the story. When any, when any man or woman, young person, son or daughter comes back to God, we all celebrate. We all lift our hands and rejoice. We all thank God for a reunion. None of us, none of us look down with some arrogant judgmental attitude because if you have that even in the hint of your heart, you have missed out on the point of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is equality at the cross and all of us need to be forgiven. It's different seasons, it's different paths, it's different ways, but at the same time, no matter who you are, you're all the younger brother. We're all the younger brother. We all have gone our own way, and we all need the grace and forgiveness of our God. Don't let your attitude need to be readjusted. You celebrate when any son or daughter comes home. We see this in the loving Father. And I hope maybe today you have seen something in God Almighty that you've not seen before. I want to ask you just to close your eyes and to bow your head. Maybe today you would say, Shane, I am the younger brother and I need to come home. My senses are awakened. My heart is repentant. I need to come home. And maybe today you would just be so bold to bow your head and bend your knees to God Almighty.
who is compassionate and gracious, slow to get angry and abounding in love. Maybe you would say, Shaheen, I'm the older brother. I don't mean to be judgmental. I don't mean to be self-righteous. I don't mean to be arrogant and prideful. But there's something in my heart that needs to be realigned, needs to be readjusted, needs to be retuned. Maybe today you would say, that's me and I need to confess my pride. Maybe there's some today that need just to come home. Here, in this faith family, Maybe they need to come home to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe they need to come home and ask for forgiveness of one of the others in this room, mend a broken relationship, mend a a family that has gone through pain and brokenness. Lord, I I I don't know what you're saying and what you're speaking to our people today, but I pray that we would respond appropriately. I'm just going to pray, and then you respond. Lord, you're free to work now as you need to work. Let us respond appropriately to your Spirit today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.